And everybody in BC has been doing their part, and we are now in a much better place. Infections on a downward trend, with a lot of warnings handed out on a warm weekend. Reclaiming Oppenheimer Park. With the last tent gone, where some of the campers have settled instead. And fighting with Ticketmaster. I thought Ticketmaster would be a reliable website to go on. Thousands left in limbo for games and concerts they'll never see. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Encouraging COVID numbers just ahead. But first, we'll start with the fact that after almost two months of homeschooling, we're getting our first taste of the anxiety that comes with the voluntary return to classes. A new survey makes it clear students are antsy about in-person education. But as Richard Zussman shows us, not all parents are ready for it. No school means lunchtime looks a little different. Though the voluntary return to school for all kids on the horizon, parents are wondering what to expect when this ends. My only concern with it is that it is part-time and for us parents who are supposed to be going back to work or who do work what are like how are we organizing our time (laughs) some school districts are planning to open schools on may 25th others june 1st with approval from health officials most districts are going to bring back k to grade 5 students part-time and keep older kids mainly on virtual learning with some in-class options the return of school a test run for september we hope, as the Premier said last week, uh, that we will be in a, in a position come September where we can move straight to stage one, where we are able to have a full uh, restart of, of, of school programs. One of the major concerns from the teachers' union is how teachers will actually be able to balance going back in the classroom while also continuing with virtual learning for those that don't come to school. Workload has been a really big concern, and and when we look at the eventual return um, of some teachers, how will that connect with the remote learning? Teachers also worried about what happens if someone is sick with COVID symptoms at school. The province won't require parents to decide immediately on a return, and kids can go back anytime before the end of the school year. I don't want to speculate how every family is going to make that decision, but I do know in other jurisdictions what we have seen is that when the doors have opened initially, there hasn't been as a lot of students. Students themselves anxious. Many say they're bored learning online, and more than half of those polled by Angus Reid say the thing they miss the most is seeing their friends. When you're dealing with learning online, it means you're not with your friends. More details are expected soon, but districts are looking at K-5 kids going back only two days a week, half Tuesday and Thursdays, the other group Monday and Wednesdays, with the focus on Fridays remaining solely on virtual learning, meaning if parents do send kids back, there will still be time for lunches like these. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Now, despite a hot weekend where people flocked to beaches and parks, and clearly some just had enough of COVID-19 restrictions, provincial health officials believe most people are behaving responsibly. The COVID-19 numbers show we have 23 new cases, 9 from Saturday to Sunday and 14 from Sunday to this morning. And we have had one additional death. Our Keith Baldry joins us now with more on the concerns over physical distancing as we head towards summer. A steady stream will be far more successful than a rushing river that can damage things in its path. 
In other words, BC's reopening is going to be a gradual one. And a reminder today that it hasn't even really begun yet. Next week, if things continue to go the way that they have been going, and I fully expect they will, we'll be at the beginning of our phase two of our pandemic. So this means COVID-19 has not gone away. It is still a risk to us in our communities, and we need to strike that right balance. Meanwhile, BC's pattern when it comes to the most serious cases remains a positive one, as hospitalizations continue to drop, as do intensive care numbers, and recovered cases are escalating. But today's briefing was dominated by questions about the large crowds at places like Kitsilano Beach this past weekend, where many people were not following physical distancing rules. Dr. Henry, though, says that behavior was not reflective of society at large. I did see lots of people, but you know what? The vast majority of them were in small groups. They were sitting apart from each other. They were socializing. They were out in the sun. And she says her approach is not to fine people or punish them for not following the rules. We have taken the approach from the very beginning that if we provide people with the direction of what they need to do, the support they need to do it, that the vast majority of people do what is needed. This past weekend, almost 2,000 warnings were issued to groups congregated in Vancouver parks and on the beaches. But Dr. Henry says that's actually a sign that her non-punitive approach is working. Well, I think that's a good measure of how well it is being policed. And, you know, when people get the warning, they get the education, the advice they need to do the right thing. And people are being respectful and that they are taking it to heart. Well, we'll see how the numbers are in a couple of weeks from now. All right, Keith Baldry is live in Victoria with more on the briefing today. Uh, Keith, the opening of the borders was also brought mm -hmm. up today, and it doesn't sound like that'll be happening anytime soon. Well, hopefully from Canada's perspective, it does not happen soon. There was a phone call between the premiers and, and the prime minister last week, and I'm told Premier John Horgan and Doug Ford of Ontario and Premier Legault in Quebec are adamant the border cannot open because the United States cases down there are still out of control. Uh, Health Minister Adrian Dix making that point today that both he and the premier are on the same page. The feds cannot open the border. Uh, the Premier has repeatedly made this point to the Prime Minister. It's our view that the border should not open for visitors at this time. Uh, it would make no sense to, to have uh, visitors travelling either from Canada to the United States and returning, or to have visitors, not essential traffic, but visitors coming from the United States to Canada. So here's some stats why we don't want the border open. Washington State, just to the south of us, has one and a half times the population of us. Uh, they have seven times the number of cases and seven times the number of deaths. They're approaching 1,000 deaths, 231 more cases just today in terms of positive cases. Michigan, which borders Ontario, 20 times the number of cases and almost 40 times the number of deaths. So it's a far worse situation in the United States, which is why Canada is adamant it doesn't reopen, even though the scheduled reopening is set for June 21st. I think that date's going to be mm -hmm. revealed. Visited. All right, thanks for that, Keith Baldry in Victoria. BC Ferries is already warning people about traveling on the upcoming long weekend. Ferries says in keeping with provincial government directives, people should avoid non-essential travel this weekend. It says many smaller communities served by BC Ferries have limited supplies of health care equipment and resources. As usual, ferries will limit passenger capacity to 50% and allow customers to remain in their vehicles on the journey. Staff will also screen customers for COVID symptoms on any route longer than 30 minutes. 
Well, the federal government is rolling out a new loan program to help big businesses stay afloat during the pandemic. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau refers to the multi-million dollar loans as bridge loans, not bailouts. But just how far does this government assistance go? The BC Business Council doesn't think many companies will actually benefit. Ted Trenecki reports. Since the start of the pandemic, many more planes have been landing than have been taking off. Thousands of aircraft are lined up on abandoned runways worldwide. Today, Vancouver's International Airport Authority announced it's laying off about 25% of its nearly 550 employees. When we're looking at the numbers of passengers that they're, that they're forecasting to come through that airport, it's, uh, it's very sobering. YVR says its terminals are built and staffed for 26 million travelers a year. It's now predicting 8 to 15 million over the next three years. The layoffs come even after considering today's announcement from Ottawa. We are establishing a large employer emergency financing facility to provide bridge financing for our largest employers if they are unable to obtain financing through other means. BC's Business Council doesn't think this program will benefit many because BC doesn't have that many large companies. These companies need this money. They're going to have to pay it back at some point. I'm not sure that this might just be in some ways postponing the inevitable because uh, as we've talked about in the past, it really is a revenue issue. He believes he has a better solution. So I'd like to see a concerted, coordinated effort to address the employment issues. And I say that because... The unemployment is so high, and if we see prolonged periods of unemployment, we're going to see rises in mental health issues, financial challenges, uh, and many, many kind of societal problems. Tourism in BC has been especially hit hard and early. Even after the pandemic subsides, there's the psychological impact where travelers could be wary of getting on a cruise ship or international flight for years. We're going to need that assistance in order to keep many of these businesses afloat. And and literally, that's what we're talking about here is uh, solvency, financing, uh, liquidity. Today's federal program comes with some safeguards to keep companies from defrauding the government. But critics like Canadians for Tax Fairness say those safeguards don't go far enough. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Another warning tonight from BC restaurant owners that without help, a limited reopening won't save even the big names in the business. As Paul Johnson reports, the industry says restaurants, bars and pubs will need concessions from landlords, suppliers and government. Getting ready for the big reopen in Vancouver. Act two of the pandemic economy is about to begin for BC's restaurants. This is such a such a Shakespearean um, um, moment where the drama, the the people, it's it's this. There's nothing like this that we've ever seen. Scott Morrison is a founder of a made in BC success story, Brown Social House, now a large franchise operation with 5,000 employees across Canada. If he's concerned about the next few months, you can only imagine what any independent restaurant is going through. So the mantra kind of is like, let's lose as little money as possible over the next couple of months as we re-understand the new normal and hopefully we get some relaxations where we can build the sales a little bit on that. Morrison says relief can come in a number of ways from suppliers, bankers and landlords. Well, the number of restaurants have told Global News they've been fortunate to get flexibility with some of those parties. They could use some more help from landlords. Others would also add 
local government to that list. There are a lot of things the city of Vancouver could do, and I think that what they're doing is nothing right now. George Affleck is a former Vancouver City Councillor who says, where possible, City Hall should let restaurants expand out onto sidewalks and patios immediately and sort out the permitting later. One Vancouver restaurateur told Global News he would do that tomorrow if allowed, and it might just save his business. We're going to see a lot of restaurants closing, and I don't see any kind of uh, interest or support coming from City Hall in Vancouver at all. 30 to 40 percent is what many in the industry expect will be lost. Coming back at limited capacity will help them limp along for a while, but is no strategy for long-term survival. There isn't a restaurant in the universe that can actually make it work at 50 percent. Paul Johnson, Global News. BC Barbers are asking for clarity on reopening plans, claiming they have been left out of discussions on safe practices. A Penticton Barber is encouraging the industry to unite amid mixed messages about what's required to safely reopen mid-month. Barbers have been unregulated and lumped under personal services since the BC government repealed the Barbers Act in 2003. They're now under the guidance of the Western Canada Beauty Council, which has directed barbers to WorkSafe BC. We don't want to be the canaries in the coal mine. There's a whole bunch that we as barbers see as a risk, and none of those risks are being addressed. WorkSafe BC says industry-specific protocols for barbers are in development and will be posted online later this week. A draft document has also been shared with BC barbers for review and feedback. Better cover your face if you want to order a grande latte in person. Starbucks is the latest retailer to jump on the mask-wearing trend. The coffee giant says it's on track to reopen 65% of its stores by the end of the week and 85% by the end of the month. Starbucks staff are already wearing facial coverings while on shift, and customers will also be asked to mask up. Starbucks is also preparing to expand to grab-and-go with plexiglass shields at the point of sale. Customers can also order on the app and pick up at the counter. Well, the last tent is gone from Oppenheimer Park. There's still a lot of work to do to make it a beautiful green space again. And we'll show you where some of the campers have moved while they wait for suitable housing in just over a minute. Scrambles to control the spread of coronavirus within its ranks. That's coming up on the news hour. And remembering Jerry Stiller, a giant in comedy. That's later. Right now, though, reaching a milestone. The tent city has now been cleared from Oppenheimer Park with a lot of work still ahead to restore it for community use. Some of the campers have moved a short distance away to a lot owned by the Port of Vancouver. They are still breaking the law and Dea reports on how long they'll be allowed to stay there. Mountains of trash turfed. The last of the guns, dangerous weapons, and a snake removed. A rebirth of Oppenheimer Park, which took over a year to clear. The city preparing to reopen the public space once it's safe. More than 260 people provided housing by the provincial government, but not everyone is interested. And the view's nicer. That's right, you got the best view in town. No rats. No rats. Open armor was bad for rats. A new homeless encampment, about 20 tents and counting, has put down roots in a parking lot next to Crab Park. The property 
owned by the Port Authority. In the province's plan, they are housing the most visible, not the most vulnerable. Let them have the space. What else is it used for right now? Area residents who frequent Crab Park empathize with the action, while others are bracing for calamity. I don't like the idea, but I also don't like needles all over the place. Anytime there's campers here, it's going to be trouble because uh, there ends up being syringes, human excrement. I completely am standing in solidarity with them because they need homes. The Port Authority issued a warning on Saturday informing the group that its members are trespassing and they need to vacate in 24 hours. Clearly that deadline has been ignored. The port now looking at legal action. It's important for the for the process to happen in court so that the legal authorities have the right to take the actions that they're going to take and can do so with the weight of the law backing them. The Port Authority will not say if it has filed for a court injunction to remove the tent city. Vancouver police monitoring the situation. Timeline for removal, a question mark. So no plan on moving out anytime soon then? No. Romina Dea, Global News. Some Okanagan residents were startled by a large explosion at a pellet plant in the North Okanagan overnight. We woke up to a loud sound of an explosion type bang. It, um... It happened about 2.45 in the morning, and it woke the entire house up. Stephanie Hoffman took those photos of the fire at Pinnacle Pellet Plant in Lavington. It's said to have started in the dryer system there. The fire department says the plant's own fire suppression system activated, and the blaze was knocked down pretty quickly. The handful of workers on shift were uninjured, and the fire damage was contained. I'm just hoping that... This type of incident is is going to be managed for future, that this won't happen again, hopefully. A municipal fire inspector along with the company are looking into the cause of the fire. In the meantime, operations at the plant have been curtailed. Up ahead, the trouble with Ticketmaster. I was very patient for the first couple weeks. A customer still waiting for a refund on hockey tickets for a game that can't happen. And students who say it's an epic failure that they don't get a grad celebration. The petition for a party they started. Dealing with a closure here for COVID-19 restrictions on Beach Avenue, it is blocked to eastbound traffic between Stanley Park and the Burrard Street Bridge. At Kermat Collision and Autoglass, the safety and well-being of their employees, customers, and community is their top priority. For essential vehicle repair information, please visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Beach Avenue in Vancouver. Rolling Stones were supposed to be playing in <laughs> Vancouver tomorrow, but mm. because of COVID-19, mm. right? There have been thousands of cancellations and postponements of concerts and sporting events around the world. And for ticket holders, getting a refund hasn't always been easy. In fact, some people have been waiting weeks for refunds, and many are left confused as to what to do next. So let's bring in our Consumer Matters reporter, Ann Drua, to tell us more. Ann? Thanks, Sophie. Ticketmaster, for example, has stated event organizers are making more events available for a refund, and that is happening in some cases. But what happens if your ticket is from a third-party seller? That was the case with Lori Lacusta, who is planning to watch a Canucks games versus the Golden Knights down in Las Vegas. Because of the pandemic, the border shut down and the event never happened. Now, weeks later, she's still waiting for her money. We were super excited about that, and... 
Then the world changed. It was an experience Laura Lacusta and her family were looking forward to. A Canucks versus Golden Knights game in Las Vegas. Back in October, Lori purchased three tickets on the Ticketmaster site for a March 23rd game at the T-Mobile Arena. The tickets were from an official third-party seller, Flash Seats AXS. The total cost for three tickets, over $750 U.S. But the game never happened. The NHL announcing on March 12th the 2019-2020 season was on hold. There's definitely not going to be fans allowed to watch the game. Lori says she was told the game was postponed, but she wants a refund. When she reached out to Ticketmaster for a refund on her tickets, she received the following response. Since you purchased tickets from another fan, refunds are not available. However, you have the opportunity to try and resell your ticket and may also have the option to transfer it to someone else if the option is available through your Flash Seats account. And that's kind of a, you know, a r- ridiculous statement to give somebody in the, you know, the conditions that we're at. And the response from the third party seller, she says, wasn't much better. I just got an auto reply with all kinds of information, confusing information. But Kingsley Bailey, who owns VancouverTicket.com, says in his opinion, both Ticketmaster and the third-party seller, AXS, need to take responsibility. The customer contacted Ticketmaster. Ticketmaster gave them the, the official site on who would sell them the ticket. So they went and purchased the ticket. So there's a little bit of accountability on both uh, AXS as well as Ticketmaster to get this customer their money back. And I, I, it peeves me off that they're able to get away with passing the buck. It's why he wants to see stronger legislation in B.C. when it comes to ticket buying than what currently exists. When a company can arbitrarily make the decision when to give a customer a refund, that's a problem. And for people like Lori left with few answers fans like myself we're just in a holding pattern and you know we don't we don't know what to do now we are told the nhl is still working through planning their season and recommending that fans hold on to their tickets until event organizers set a new date at that point fans can decide if they want to still attend the game or resell their tickets if the event is cancelled they will receive a refund automatically. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. In limbo. All right. Thanks for that, Anne. Students in one Vancouver Island school district are pushing back against the cancellation of their grad ceremonies. They say their district called off their grad too soon and should at least look at some alternatives to a traditional ceremony. Brad McLeod reports. I feel sorry for her. Like, She was very upset, so she decided to do a petition. Brianna wants her high school grad ceremony back, and she has the support of at least 2,000 people so far. Yeah, we could have like done a drive-through grad or like one where you like set it up outside and had a grad instead of just like, nope, we're just doing a video. <laughs> School District 62 has about 1,200 graduates spread out through Souk, Langford and Machosan. But because of COVID, like so many districts, there will be no caps, no gowns and no handing out diplomas. Instead, a video of student photos and speeches live streamed online. Brianna feels a physical ceremony was scrapped way too soon. You can do it outside and like smaller gathering and everything just to like make sure nobody's gonna like get sick or anything at all. Just so we get the memories and everybody can stay safe. Shiana McLean is in French immersion. I was supposed to have two grad ceremonies and I don't even think they're talking about making anything for the French grad. 
schools around the continent getting creative. In Saskatchewan, they posted pics on the lawn. And that drive-through idea in Oklahoma. The superintendent for SD62 did consider it. In some of our schools, 360 to 400 graduates. And any time we looked at scheduling that, it always meant that at some point they were either gathering at the beginning to line up or at the end once they'd gone through. The superintendent says he has been fielding phone calls constantly, but time is running out to plan something safe for June. Well, I think if everybody put their minds together, I'm sure the parents and the grads and the, and the faculty of the school faculty could come up with something. And I'm sure there'd be so many parent volunteers that would help. In absence of a better idea, this is, this is kind of where we are at this point. So if they have imaginative ideas that fit within the constraints that, that we have to live by, then I'm all ears. Cue a lot more phone calls. For 2096. Brad McLeod, Global News, Langford. The COVID death toll in the U.S. hits 81,000 with a scare in the White House. I'd be a lot safer if I was sitting at home. Why some question the president's position on COVID testing. And the show must go on for a performer who wants to be ready when it does. Her Backyard Circus Act later. It's a nice evening commute over here in both directions at the Alex Fraser Bridge, but do keep in mind overnight maintenance causes lane closures between 9 p.m. and 5 a.m. Sussex Insurance are your auto plan experts for insurance renewals, changes, or other ICBC transactions, all from home. Just visit sussexinsurance.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. In the U.S. tonight, three of the country's top health experts are in quarantine after being exposed to the virus. With COVID-19 in the West Wing, the White House has established an extensive program of testing, something that is not available to most businesses that are reopening across the country. President Trump tonight in the Rose Garden, appearing to declare victory over the coronavirus crisis before clarifying his comments. We have met the moment. And we have prevailed. You said in your comments earlier, we have met the moment we have prevailed. Uh, to you, sir, is the mission accomplished? No, we prevailed on testing is what I'm referring to. That was with regard to testing. Uh, you never prevail when you have 90,000 people, 100,000 people. Uh, when you have 80,000 people as of today. But experts say the U.S. is still catching up on the testing front. That says coronavirus tonight is striking inside the White House, sending the Trump administration scrambling to control the spread. With at least two staffers now testing positive. One of President Trump's personal valets and Katie Miller, spokesperson to Vice President Mike Pence. The vice president back at work today after staying away from the White House this weekend. Officials telling NBC News the vice president continues to test negative for the virus and has no restrictions to his schedule. But three of the country's top health officials in charge of the federal response are all now in some form of self-quarantine after their potential exposure. Dr. Anthony Fauci, CDC Director Robert Redfield, and FDA Commissioner Stephen Hahn. It is scary to go to work. I think that I'd be a lot safer if I was sitting at home than I would be going to the West Wing. The coronavirus scare in the White House, where testing is widely available, undercuts the president's message that the outbreak is fading and highlights the challenges facing businesses nationwide that do not have access to the contact tracing and aggressive repeated testing now in place in the White House. But that could get easier, with the FDA now announcing that it's given emergency authorization for a new type of coronavirus test, 
called an antigen test. Health experts say it's generally cheaper and easier to manufacture than current methods, and the results are faster too. New COVID-19 outbreaks in China and South Korea are sparking fears of a fresh wave of injection, um, infections. Make that the city of Shulan near the Russian and North Korean borders is imposing a lockdown on its 600,000 residents. While there were only a dozen or so cases there, two neighboring provinces have also recorded new cases, adding to worries about the resurgence of the virus. South Korea is facing the same possibility after the biggest daily rise in cases in more than a month. Health officials there are trying to track at least 5,500 people who may have gone to nightclubs visited by a man who later tested positive. And today in the UK, more people were told they could head back to work and limits on the amount of time people can spend outside will be removed. But the UK has the second highest death rate in the world. And there's growing confusion and criticism of the government's roadmap for reopening. Global's Europe Bureau Chief Crystal Commencing reports. The streets of London are still quiet. However, voices of frustrated citizens and politicians are getting louder as lockdown measures are eased. There are going to be more people out and about because it still wasn't completely clear about if you should go to work or not. I think there will be another, another surge, but I guess, I guess we just have to see and play it by ear. Stay alert has replaced stay at home. People in manufacturing, food production, scientific research and construction are being encouraged to return to work. Limits are also being removed on time spent outdoors. We're publishing guidance for businesses on how to make these workplaces safe, COVID secure. People who are able to work from home, as we've continually said, should do so. What the country needs at this time is clarity and reassurance. And at the moment, both are in pretty short supply. And at the heart of the problem, it seems, is that the Prime Minister made a statement last night before the plan was written. Northern Ireland, Wales and Scotland have all rejected the new messaging. My judgment right now is that the risk is still too great. Too many people are still dying and the situation in care homes, despite the extraordinary dedication of our care workers, remains a serious concern. While the Prime Minister acknowledges there are regional differences when it comes to the virus and the right for each government to react individually, he says the messaging is fit for all of the UK. I think a lot of people will be starting to get to the point, well, I'm not sure if I should stay home or not, so I'm just going to start going out, and it's probably too soon for that. The new plan does allow for the reopening of some schools and stores, but that doesn't happen until June at the earliest. Crystal Gamansing, Global News, London. New research from Northwestern University shows patients with a severe vitamin D deficiency are more likely to experience serious complications from the virus and higher death rates. Vitamin D is key for maintaining healthy bones. Not having enough can affect the immune system and inflammation. Other studies are looking into the link between latitude vitamin D and COVID-19. A British study shows countries north of the equator experience higher death rates. A Canadian study, though, finds latitude and temperature are not associated with the spread of the virus. Researchers caution against taking high doses of vitamin D, which can have negative side effects. Just ahead, practice makes perfect for a circus artist stuck on the sidelines. Because I wanted to do the big jumps and the scary tricks. How she's tricked out her hard to stay in shape since COVID canceled the show. 
And in sports, golfer Mike Weir faces 50. What's going to help him get back in the win, win column? Coming up. Want a piece of me? You got it! Comedy veteran Jerry Stiller has died. We'll have a look back at his rise to fame and all of the laughs he generated right after Christie's forecast. No, i got to binge watch Seinfeld tonight. Yes. <laughs> All right, did. let's check in with Christy Gordon for a look at our forecast. And uh, heading into a bit of a change, but thank you very much for the weekend that you gave us, Christy. Oh, my pleasure. I hope all the mothers out there enjoyed it. We all kept physical distancing still. You'll note, I changed my background, just changing it up with the wisteria behind me. It's not going to be long that we're going to see this blue or purplish, I guess you could say. Now, it was a muggy one today. We started off the day with about 12 degrees, feeling closer to about 13, 14, and then we warmed up to 22, but again, feeling closer to 23, 24 degrees, and some parts of the interior hit 30 degrees. Now, though, this morning, you may have noticed noticed if you woke up enough or early enough you would have seen yes red skies in the morning sailors take warning we are going to see a change just as Sophie said so here's what's about to occur look at this shot though by uh Mary and Haida Gwaii with the whale off in the distance there. All right, so rainfall will develop likely around midnight. Tomorrow morning, we'll see the rainfall in the morning, easing to showers in the afternoon. Now, with those showers, we're expecting thunderstorms as well, right across the south coast, even into the Okanagan Valley, also into the Boundary and the West Kootenai region. So sunny in the north, but across southern BC, expect rainfall with embedded thunderstorms tomorrow. So if you hear thunder, everyone, it is really important that you head indoors and keep yourself safe. Still 18 degrees and above seasonal for this time of year. Uh, but we cool off a little bit on Wednesday with showers. Nice little bright spot, though, on Thursday and Friday. And I'll leave you with this adorable little gosling. This is from Sandish. Thank you to Sandy for that one. This little dude playing in the mud all by himself. And Aww. I'm sure his mom is, is saying to him, come on, come on, it's time to go. we got to go have a bath and wash up. <laughs> Oh, I do that all the time. I know what it's like. <laughs> yes, you do with two boys. All right. Thanks, Christy. <laughs> thanks, Christy. All right. Festivus is left for the rest of us. With news, the actor who uttered that phrase and made it a household name is gone. Tributes tonight for comic legend Jerry Stiller, best known for his role on Seinfeld, who passed away at the age of 92. In real life, he was Ben Stiller's father. You want a piece of me? But on TV, serenity now, serenity now. He was best known as George Costanza's dad. You'll be nice. Jerry Stiller's cantankerous character on Seinfeld created iconic moments. They couldn't just say hello. A festivus for the rest of us. And even a new holiday. The tradition of festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Later, he carried his comedy chops to another hit show, The King of Queens. Payback time is here! But Stiller's career actually started decades earlier. Hi! How you doing? When he forged a comedy duo with his wife, Ann Mira. It's not hard to live with Ann. You just have to put up with it. That's so lucky. Mira passed away five years ago. Now this legendary pair is laughing together again. Joe Fryer, NBC News. And one of his uh, trademark phrases should be the motto for these times, COVID-19 times, <laughs> serenity now. Serenity now. In the back of it, yelling in the back of the cap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he wasn't. He actually wasn't in many Seinfeld episodes, percentage-wise, but every one of them that he was in was gold oh, yeah. every time. So good. 
baseball owners have a plan to return to action on July 4th. By Rendon. Kendrick into the opposite corner. And it's gone! Well, apparently baseball's not gone yet, but the owners will talk to the players tomorrow and see if the players agree with their plan. Also tonight, she couldn't wait to join the circus, but now COVID-19 has put her career on hold. How is she staying in shape in the meantime? Fourth of July would be appropriate, right? Certainly would to restart baseball. Very few things as American as that. Maybe apple pie. Here's Squire. (laughs) Well, Major League Baseball owners agree with you two. They have approved (laughs) a plan to try to start the regular season They say in early July, but the word is July 4th, and they would play only an 82-game regular season. And to save pitchers' arms, the National League would have the designated hitter rule. Now, the owners will still have to meet with the Players' Union, and they'll do that tomorrow. And that's where they'll talk about the two big issues, safety and money. How much will the players get paid? Plus, the teams are going to have to expand rosters as well because nobody knows if any of the minor leagues can play this year and players will be needed on hand in case the regular guys get hurt. Now all of this has left the Vancouver Canadians in limbo. They don't know what the plan is yet with the Northwest League. All the minor leagues will probably decide together what they are going to do going forward. They will take their cue from Major League Baseball so the C's can only sit and wait. But given you can't have fans at games, I'm not sure how the Canadians or any minor league team is going to be able to play this year. That's the only way they make money. Also, all the other teams in the Northwest League are in the U.S. They might not be able to get across the border to play at Nat Bailey. They can't quarantine for two weeks after they cross and then play. But as we said, nothing's official yet. Well, hockey's number one minor league is no longer waiting. The American League canceled the rest of the season today. They went with win percentages to decide the champ. And it was the Milwaukee Admirals, which is the farm team for the Nashville Predators. The Canucks farm team in Utica had a pretty good season, 10th best when it came to win percentage. And the Utica Comets also had the second highest score in the AHL. Reed Boucher was only three points out of top spot. And he had played 10 less games than the guy who finished first, Sam Annis, who's a Minnesota Wild prospect. Boucher is one of those guys who was a great minor leaguer. But he wasn't called up by the Canucks this season, and he only played one game here last season. Well, here's a, a way to know time flies. Remember when Mike Weir won the Masters? That was 17 years ago. Tomorrow it's his 50th birthday, so we thought we would talk to the most accomplished male golfer in Canada of all time. No other Canadian won the green jacket, and you can trace his career all the way back to the Lower Mainland, where he won his first PGA Tour event. Hey there, guys. Um, yeah, closing in on this magic number 50 pretty soon. That uh, means the Champions Tour uh, I'm eligible for. So super excited to be uh, ready to play out there pretty soon. You know all of Canada is watching today and very interested in how their favorite son is going to fare. We haven't seen a lot of Mike Weir on tour the last few years. His last real success on the PGA Tour coming at the 2014 Byron Nelson, where Weir finished second. In the half decade since, we ran a total of four cuts, injury after injury, and a lack of gain the story of Mike's 40-something years. Now that he's turning 50, that decade and everything it brought is over with. So bring on the Champions Tour. Um, that's, that's very exciting. You know, my game's in a good place, and I anticipate, uh, you know, playing a lot and hopefully playing quite well out there, um, you know, kind of being the rookie. So 
you know, I have no illusions that uh, that the guys do play great golf out there, and you have to play really well. But uh, you know, I'm really excited to to test my skills and test my game out there against them. So. Canadian golf fans have watched every shot of Weir's illustrious career, but it's here on the West Coast where Mike's professional career took flight. Back in 1999, he became the first Canadian to win on home soil in almost half a century when he claimed his first PJ victory at the Air Canada Championship. However, it was the lessons he learned honing his skills on the Canadian Tour that laid the foundation for a career that's produced 16 wins worldwide with on-course earnings of just under $28 million. And those are some special memories I still have in my mind of, you know, having a clothes rack across the, uh, the back seat of my car and just kind of living out of my car for months at a time. You know, one of my, I had a, a real nice victory at the BC Tel Pacific Open where I, I beat Ken Duke in a playoff. That one's really memorable that I won there at um, Mayfair Lakes. Weir is 100% committed to playing the Champions Tour full-time. He still plans on teeing it up at the Masters and perhaps play the odd PGA event. An entire country will be watching to see if he can return to his winning ways. Jay Janower, Global Sports. BC Tell, that's when I had my ColecoVision. <laughs> that's a long time ago. Thanks, Thanks Squire. Well. Let's check in with Jay Durant for a look ahead to 11. Jay? Thanks very much, Sophie. The Vancouver Park Board is meeting tonight and a report on COVID-19 is on the agenda. We'll also have more on the huge spike in physical distancing warning tickets issued by the Vancouver Park Board Rangers uh, this past weekend and what that could mean moving forward. Plus, this 21-year-old man and 19-year-old have now been charged with attempted murder of a homeless man in Kelowna. He was attacked and found badly injured in a downtown Kelowna alley back in early March. We'll have those stories when you join us tonight at 11. All right. Thanks, Jay. When we come back, we'll have our salute to our healthcare hero and backyard circus act. That's next. Fair warning, it's almost time to make some noise for our BC healthcare heroes on the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. Before we all take part in the 7 o'clock salute, we want to recognize one of your BC healthcare hero nominations. And tonight's comes from Darren DiGostini. He says his wife, Lana, is his health care hero. Lana is a critical care nurse working in the ICU at both Surrey Memorial and Abbotsford Regional Hospitals. Darren says Lana has been working tirelessly night and day, caring for patients with COVID-19, all the while maintaining a positive attitude and total dedication. The couple had to cancel their honeymoon in Europe due to the pandemic, but Lana went straight back to work without giving it a second thought. She also took part in a community fundraiser making shirts, and the proceeds of all of that were donated to the Abbotsford Food Bank. Lana, Darren says you're his hero, and you're a hero to your kids, Gabby and Jackson, and we thank you as well for all that you're doing to help BC through this crisis. And for the rest of you, if you have a healthcare hero to nominate, email us at bchealthcareheroes at globalnews.ca. Include a few pictures and some information about why they are your hero. Thank you, Lana. All right, a young BC woman whose dream to run away and join the circus has been put on hold isn't letting the COVID pandemic stop her. No way. After three years in circus school and one year on tour, She's turned her backyard into her own personal training center. Linda Aylesworth reports. At the age of 23, Brittany G. Moore has already achieved her life's goal. She's an aerialist with Cirque du Soleil. Her specialty, the rope. She fell in love with it the first time she saw someone performing. He was letting go of the rope and recatching it, and I was like, I want to do that. Like, that's exactly what I want to do. It all began at the age of three, 
on the ground when she was a dancer. But as she grew, so did her desire for more risky forms of expression. I wanted to do the big jumps and the scary tricks and the dangerous tricks. <laughs> I wanted to jump from high places. In time, she was accepted to the National Circus School in Montreal, a three-year college program she didn't even finish before Cirque du Soleil brought her on board. Her parents' reaction? I guess it's the typical, like, oh, she's running away to join the circus, right? <laughs> but a few months into her first tour, COVID-19 shut the circus down. All the performers now had to find a way to keep in shape and keep their skill levels up at home. Some of their routines are highlighted in quarantine through the eyes of Cirque du Soleil artists. What did Brittany do? I asked a friend who is also the owner of the Circus Lab. Do you happen to have a rig I could put in my backyard? And that is how a 24-foot-high tripod rig ended up in her Burnaby backyard. I've trained six times a week, but I don't just train to stay in shape. I train because I love it. And she will continue to do so in her yard and eventually back in the 3,000-seat big top because the show must go on. I can't wait. It, it'll be, it's something to look forward to, especially during times like these. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Okay, anybody oh. else holding their breath while well, she's oh. doing Yeah, this? but the neighbors get free Cirque du Soleil every night. That's good right. Point. That's a good point. Pure <laughs> entertainment. My back hurts just watching She's <laughs> so strong. Uh, okay, last word on weather before we go, Christy. Sure. So we'll see the rain push in likely while you're asleep and then through the morning hours. Keep your eye out for thunderstorms. If you hear that tomorrow, make sure you head indoors. Nice and warm, though, I guess, in the rain tomorrow. 18 right. degrees. We'll take it. Thank you very much. And thanks for watching, everybody. <laughs> Have a good night, all.